This is Working the Beat. Again, it's October 28, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us as we talk to you about the world of sports. Hopefully you heard the first part of our show tonight. Again, a reminder, we only have one show. It's now broken up into two parts tonight because of how busy everything is. First part of our show was Dave Jones from the Harrisburg Patriot News. We talked all things Penn State football, mentioned a little bit of college basketball, and obviously what's going on with Pat Chambers up there, where the Lions stand heading into Ohio State. Then Mike and I broke down the Dallas Eagle game on Sunday. I'm sure we'll get into it with our guest uh, a little bit on this episode as well. And then we gave our NFL and college football picks. So that's the story from episode one. Episode two is going to focus a lot on the Sixers, who today has been reported they have been reported to have hired Daryl Morley to be the club's best president of basketball operations to oversee Eldon Brand, if you will. Uh, Doc Rivers has also picked up Sam Casal as an assistant coach as well. And we'll talk about the Justin Turner World Series flap and just the entire World Series. And our, our guest tonight, Mike Selsky, had a great column about the whole Blake Snell situation uh, with Kevin Cash. Then, obviously, the Turner stuff at the back end. It's just a wacky, strange uh, kind of way that this ended. And it kind of, what would have been a great success story for baseball and a great story with the Dodgers, a major market finally breaking through after 32 years, took an ugly turn. So, Mike wrote a column about it on Inquire.com. And uh, we'll talk about the Sixers. We'll talk about the... Uh, the end of the World Series, maybe what the Phillies will do going forward. And uh, then maybe we'll throw an Eagles question or two here at the end. So that is our that is our guest list here for episode two. Thanks for joining us on both Mr. Kern and Mr. Silski will join me in, in a brief, brief second. Well, the Sixers have got the guy who really created Sam Hinkie and Dal Morley, uh, who will be the new president of basketball operations, according to numerous reports from Keith Pompey, Woj, Shams, everybody. And, uh, you know, I'll ask Kern who Shams is again in about a week. But uh, joining us now to discuss all this and the end of the World Series, and maybe we'll throw an Eagles-Cowboys question in there just for fun. It's our buddy from the Enquirer. It's Mike Silski. Mike, how are you? Hi, Kev. Hi, Mike. When are we going to get together with Al Mayo? That's a good question. We got to get Al Mayo to listen to this uh, podcast first. I don't know that he does. He should sponsor the podcast. The hell with listening to it. Sponsor it. <laughs> that, Al Mayo, for, for those who are listening, is a neighbor and friend of mine and a longtime friend of Mike Kearns. And we've been trying, the three of us have been trying to get together uh, for months now. Maven. He's a t shirt maven. Right. Yes. And a big Philly sports fan and former former grade school basketball coach of one Mark Farzetta. So uh, really? a lot of connections all over. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Mike, what was your initial reactions when you heard the Morley news today? Uh, Daryl Morey as the GM of the Morey, Sixers. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Uh, you, you took the ex-Eagles cornerback, Daryl Worley, and you and you combined him into a basketball executive and made him Daryl Morley. So. Yeah, and, and, and I totally screwed up. I would screw up the name. I always screwed up the name of the pier in Wildwood anyway, so that's a whole different story, too. Maury's Pier. And Mariner's Landing. Landing. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Remember those commercials? Yes. Um, oh, so, the middle uh, of Dancing you, on Air, I think. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Solid gold, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you, you can't, uh, to me, you can't help but like this move. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, over what, uh, a decade and a half with the Rockets, um, turned them into a perennial contender. No, they didn't reach the finals, um, but, you know, they were right there with the San Antonio Spurs and the Golden State Warriors, and they did it in a number of different ways. You know, they had Yao Ming for a while. They had Tracy McGrady. Then they transitioned to, you know, jacking up three-pointers. Look, the Rockets for a long time have been one of these teams that people love to hate because they had an identity that was different from what most other NBA teams did. But the fact is that by virtually any standard except the did you or did you not win a championship, um, Maury's approach worked. And I think this is exactly the kind of hire the Sixers should have made. Um, I'm curious to see how much power he has. I, I assume if you're going to hire somebody like Daryl Morey, you're going to let him do what he wants and needs to do. Um, so I am really curious and really interested. And if I were a Sixers fan, I'd be pretty optimistic about this. Mike? So, so they're winning the offseason, which is always good in Philadelphia because we do that well sometimes. Uh, Mike, what do you think – this means for Elton Brand, or does it mean anything? I mean, I think it means that he gets somebody to learn from. I think it means that the Sixers, I think the Sixers like Elton Brand a lot in, well, how can I say this? Not in theory. In theory isn't the right word, but they like everything he brings to the table. Um, and And they need him to learn how to actually be a general manager. I don't think... Anybody would question the idea that the Sixers made Elton Brand a general manager before he was really ready to be a general manager. Um, And the fact is that he, you know, he was kind of Billy King part two without having the apprentice, the the length of the apprenticeship to become an executive um, and have the power and the knowledge and the savvy to do the job that Billy did when he had it with the Sixers. Um, just because he had been around the league so much longer. So um, I think this is nothing but a help for Elton. I think it should be kind of, like I said, heartening to Sixers fans that, you know, Elton did some good things, but, you know, not a lot of good things. And and the franchise wasn't in a great situation um, after the sweep to the Celtics. You saw how many assets they once had and how few assets they really have now. But Mike, um, is Maury making the decision? Like, oh, yeah, Maury's making the decisions. Okay, yeah. so oh, Elton... Yeah. So Elton has yeah. had his power, maybe at least for a little while, devalued a little. No, I, I think I think any any suggestion that Elton Brand had a a lot of power within oh, the Sixers okay. organization is way okay. overstated. Okay. Way overstated. Yeah. Um, no, I mean I, I think he was. I, you don't want to call him a figurehead, but by the same token, he was not uh, empowered in the same way that a whole lot of executives. Well, he went out and got out Horford. Yeah, well, I mean, and maybe that's, that's why that's they felt a lot of power. Well, <laughs> he went out and got Al Horford, but from what I've been told, um, he was also not in the room um, when Tobias Harris and his agent slash father were finalizing uh, the contract extension, the max gotcha. deal that that Harris signed. So, okay. you know, there's a question of how much 
um, power Elton really had, and I don't think it was very much. Okay, um, fair. Is it more, more than, I guess, Elton? To me, this prevents interference from the Scott O'Neill's of the world. Am I am I thinking that's where the firewall really is? It keeps the basketball operations separate from business and, and everything going on, and people on that side who... We're, we're kind of overstepping the line, if you will, over the last couple of years. Yeah, look, I think, yeah, I mean, I think Scott had, you know, aspirations and, and grandiose ideas about what he could do as a player personnel exec to a certain degree. Um, and there was a bit of mixing of the two sides, probably more than there should have been. Um, you know, and, and Scott, I think, is a salesman first and foremost. Sure. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the mistakes that this franchise has made in recent years I think was, uh, and I've said this to people within the organization is they framed the process such as it was, you know, as something that everybody could get behind, um, that it was a good thing. You know, don't you, uh, doesn't everybody understand how smart we are? And the fact is that nobody was in the mood to look at it that way. It was a hard slog. It was really difficult to go through as necessary as I would argue Mm -hmm. it was, it wasn't something to be celebrated. It was something to be tolerated. And Scott seemed to be at the forefront of, you know, telling the world how smart the Sixers were and not understanding why people didn't understand how smart the Sixers were. Um, and so Dar- look, Daryl Morey's got a proven track record here. He is a smart guy. He's generally been a step ahead of things. Um, he's been creative in how he's built teams. And I think he's going to have to be creative in how he, you know, rebuilds or reconfigures the Sixers team. However you want to look at it, you know, does it include both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? I know this, I know Daryl Morey won't be afraid if the time comes uh, and he has to say this to say, okay, I got to make a choice between one of these two guys um, or I can get something more for one of these two guys and, you know, prepare, better prepare the Sixers for where the NBA is going. Well, and, 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 but Mike, okay. one, one final question. Morey, no, no, um, obviously, Hinky worked with Morey in, in, in Houston. Do we know kind of the depth of the relationship and the similarities and the differences in their approach? A little bit. They, they get along real well. Um, they got they get along very well. You know, they're they're kind of cut from the same cloth. Um, two guys who, if you get them by themselves um, and can talk to them, um, are really smart or really engaging. I know Hinky didn't have that impression here because he was so he kept everything so close to the vest and wouldn't speak on the record. But when you did speak to him, he was a sharp guy. Uh, and Maury is from every indication the same way. I've only speaking spoken to him once or twice. Um, so are we going to get a Sam Hinkie redo? No, because you know, that you didn't have, you don't have to break everything down and build it back up the way Sam did. Um, you know, you have Embiid, you have Simmons, you have a couple pieces here. Um, you have, you need somebody who's going to be creative to figure out what to do with them and how to improve this team, but it's not, you know, starting from nothing or having to start from nothing the way Hinky did. And don't, doesn't he have Mike a relationship with, the new coach too. I, I, they, they said that he had, he had tried to maybe get him to come to Houston at one point. Uh, he, so I guess this would have been a while ago before he went to the Clippers. But so I'm assuming, you, you know, you have a guy with a proven track record as now you're running the show sort of, and a guy with a proven track record running the show on the court. That has to be a good thing, right? I think it is. I mean, look, you know, Maury started with the Rockets when Jeff Van Gundy 
was their head coach. Um, and they had Yao Ming in the post and Tracy McGrady on the wing and, um, you know, were a completely different style of team from the one that they became over time with Mike D'Antoni. And that team instance. is good too, right? I mean, yeah, they were, they, they were good. They were consistently good, you know, year after year after year. And, you know, while it made for, you know, a, a few easy like first take and and first things first segments because they kept losing in the playoffs. They also kept getting to the playoffs and in the you know, West, in the West, and going toe to toe with the Warriors and the Spurs. So, um, th- you know, that's the kind of guy that you want running your basketball team. I think, and um, you know, I'm really curious, like I said, to see what he does with this roster, what he pinpoints and says. Okay, we can do this. We can not do this. Here are the kind of players we need around Embiid and Simmons. You know, here we go, Kevin. Let me. It won't Kevin, follow. Sure. If you're if you're Simmons and Embiid, because we know Tobias has a relationship w- with you know Doc, so that that we're figuring that's going to work fairly well. If you're Simmons and Embiid, what are you thinking right now with what's transpired? That's a good question. Um, I think I mean Embiid. If Twitter is any indication, was very excited about the uh, the changes that were made. He was, uh, you know, he he went back and forth with the assistant coach they just hired. You know, who, um, you know, they had had a they had had a little tete a tete. You know, I guess within the last season or two, um, when the guy was coaching with the Pacers. Um, but you know, I'm sure they're curious like everybody else. I think they have to they have to look at this. Um, I think from the perspective, of, okay. Look, guys, you know, you don't have turmoil in the front office anymore. You don't mm-hmm. have a guy who's only ever been a head coach, you know, for your NBA team and for you. You know, you have Doc Rivers, who has won an NBA championship, who's been a successful coach at multiple places. You have an executive who is highly regarded around the league, um, who's a sharp guy. Uh, and so, you know, if if you can't hang here now, then, you know, what's your future going to be? You, you better – you better get on board the train. Um, and I think that's what they've needed. The Sixers have needed this for a while. And, Mike, you look at it. It's a compressed window here. I mean, you're going to have the draft in 18 days. You're going to have free agency probably December 1st. You're looking at the, the season starting, December, you know, maybe Christmas or at the very latest King Day. I mean, Maury, Maury will let it ride here. Or Maury will probably let it ride here early before they make any sweeping moves, right? I would think so. I mean, he doesn't have much choice. Um, you know, the whole thing is restarting again so quickly. Um, and we don't know what the season's going to look like. And, you know, who knows? Um, you know, I mean, he dealt with, you know, Russell Westbrook had COVID, you know, when they came back and, um, you know, everything is so unpredictable in that regard that I think he would have to, you know, Daryl's a pretty smart guy. So I would think he's going to take stock of what they've got, you know, get a sense of the organization, um, and go on from there. Uh, Except for maybe Horford, maybe he tries to shop Horford and says it doesn't work, but then. How much does Doc then have a, a say in all this? I mean, oh, I, th- I think they'll work, you know, in tandem. I mean, I think you've got two power, you've got two NBA power people now, um, you know, in charge of this thing. You know, go back, what was it, the the a year ago or more when Maury sent that tweet out um, in support of the Hong Kong uh, protesters and citizens. Um, part of the reason that became such a big deal was not just not just because the NBA is in bed with China and, you know, the tweet threatened their business partnership, the league's business partnership with 
a communist dictatorship. It's it was Daryl Morey, like he's one of the the giant executives and power people in the sport. If it had been, you know, the equipment manager for the Sixers, that had been one thing. It was not. It was a guy who's running one of the the most successful franchises in the league. And Houston's um, connection at that point with China, obviously, because of Yao Ming. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, he's a smart, open-minded guy. Um, and yeah, I think, like I said, I think the Sixers, you know, made a good move here today. Do you think that hastened his exit in Houston? I think it's possible. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't know that. I don't right. know that without I'm just speculating, but I mean, speculating. I mean, it- yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, you know, and plus, uh, you know, things there kind of run their course. I'm sure, you know, you bang your head against the wall so many times you want to try banging it against a new wall. Go ahead, Mike. So, so Mike, knowing Philadelphia the way you do, now you got a team that finished sixth and got swept in a disjointed season, but still, they were a disappointment, a pretty big disappointment. What are expectations now? Because I'm even listening to some of these shows of people who are now, hey, the Sixers are for real now. We weren't sure they were. Do the expectations, even for next season, even though that may be maybe premature, but I got to believe now – Unless you trade one of the big two guys, and you don't, we, that probably wouldn't happen right away if it was going to happen. The expectations got to be pretty high now again, right? I think the natural inclination of Philadelphia sports fans will be uh, expectations are high. Um, but know, even like, around, even around from people looking in at us, right? Well, I mean, I, here's what I think. I think, and I keep coming back to this word, but I think it it matters. I think. There's a curiosity factor now with this team because it has a new executive at the top and a new head coach mm-hmm. because everybody's going to want to see, okay, are Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid actually going to make some progress here mm-hmm. in the things, in the areas where they need to make progress? Is Ben going to start shooting and taking and making shots? Is Embiid going to get in shape or is this going to be, okay, well, you got Daryl Morey, you got Doc Rivers, you've got a coaching staff loaded with experience, and even then, these guys can't get it into gear and, and get their butts in shape and, and you know do what they need to do to take their games to the next level. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, the Sixers are really going to have to make some major changes. Yeah. Uh, Mike Zilski from the Inquirer joining us. Uh, Process go- 2, Kevin. Process 2, exactly. Process the sequel. Electric Boogaloo. Um, <laughs> when... when let, let me switch topics to the other main topic of the day in a lot of ways, which was the uh, the end of the World Series last night. D- do you want to go with the Justin Turner angle first? Or do you want to go with the Blake Snow angle first? Let me ask you. Is the- uh, let's go with uh, Justin Turner because we can dispense with it pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, I said this this morning, and, and this is my – baseball, look, there's a ton of great – guys in baseball who we all have met and we've had good conversations with but the percentage of lunkheads in baseball is clearly more than any other professional sport and Justin Turner acted like a lunkhead last night he put his own selfishness ahead of the public good and you know created a super spreader event and it's just so it just was really Interesting, difficult, enraging to watch a little bit as you watch that progress on that postgame show. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's no defending what he did. And I'm somebody who 
you know, I'm like 50.1%. Let's open things up and try to live as normal a life as we can. And 49.9%, boy, we really got to be vigilant about this virus, you know, to the exclusion of everything else. Um, the, the anal- I wrote about this today and, and the analogy I used kind of not with respect to, well, the, the analogy I used for the situation was this, you know, you, you're going to hear people who, you know, and Turner himself said this, like, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing. I will finally won the world series. I'm going to go celebrate with my teammates. Nobody else complained. Okay. Consider this. Suppose you have to drive to the supermarket and on your way to the supermarket, you have to go through a four point stop intersection. And, and someone tells you before you leave, I can guarantee that another car will blow through that intersection without stopping at the stop sign during your ride to the supermarket. Would you then go to the supermarket? Would you be so, so eager to take, to run that errand? That's what Turner did. Turner was the car that was going to go through the stop sign. You know, once he knows that he's tested positive, sorry, Justin, it ain't about you anymore. Like it's about everybody else. It's one thing if, you know, you've, you've, uh, insulated yourself without having tested positive and you've done everything and you show no symptoms and you know, you take your chances that I can understand and you're sitting next that, to a manager who's, who's a cancer yeah, survivor. Exactly. Exactly. Mike. And, and, I mean, with, and with pregnant, pregnant women around like, yeah, uh, you mean, just, you can't do that. It's, it's, as you said, Kevin, it's so selfish to do that. And, Mike, and, do you think, do you think that like major league baseball said they, they said something to him. He didn't comply. If you're Major League Baseball, you're telling me you, you got this guy back in some room, wherever the heck he was, you can't physically take him off the field or something? I mean, you don't have the wherewithal to do that as a as a, um, a commissioner or whoever. He, he's Ima- imagine the scene, Mike. Like, what are you oh, going to no, do? I, I get you it. Know, yeah. yeah. I mean, are you going to tase him? Like, you know, I mean, he's he's there. He's celebrating. Ratings. <laughs> animal um, animal getting tased would be, would have improved ratings. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't tase me, bro. Um, well, couldn't he at least have just kept his mask on? Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That? Like, you know, I I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. And Kevin's point about this being a baseball player thing, you don't like to generalize, but it's well taken. Um, you know, this was just a total selfish lunkhead move. And that's for a lot of people, because this is a this is a league that we thought was going to be the first to start, and and, and basically took three months to get done. This is the lasting image some people are going to have, which is, you know, you don't want that to be the lasting image. But this also brings up a point, and this is beyond Justin Turner's control. Where was the processing in this? Why was it? Why was a test from Monday not really processed until the second inning of the game on Tuesday? Good like, question. I mean, there's, and if you think there's a, a false reading or if you think there's a, a reading that question, why are you letting the guy still play even at that point? You know, I get it's game six of the World Series and you don't want to pull a main piece of a lineup, but I mean, for heaven's sakes, you just allowed two and a half hours more of an, uh, of exposure. Kevin, think about this. If the, the Rays had won the game last night. Yeah, we're, we're going to be waiting for game seven until games. mid-November. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's silly on a lot of different levels. It just is. And, um, you know, major league baseball should have been better prepared, but you know, by the same token, you can't account for every single scenario. Yeah. Um, and the scenario of guy tests positive and ignores the positive tests to the potential detriment of everybody around him. <laughs> I mean, 
how do you prepare for something like that? I don't know. No, but no, I think you criticize baseball primarily for the testing being so slow. Yes. That's the, that's where you criticize major league baseball. Why did the process break down that tests were taking over 24 hours when you're all talking about 70 people, you know, you're talking the, 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 you know, the, the 28, 30 players on each team (laughs) and managers and coaches. I mean, it's not like you were dealing with earlier in the season when you had every team processing the different labs. Let's get to the Blake Snow end of it then. You mentioned about this is the way that the game's played. This is the well, way. What that, happened with Blake? What happened with Blake Snow? Uh, they got pulled. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, two hits allowed through <laughs> five and a third. Um, he nine strikeouts. Nine strikeouts. Dominating had had gone. First two, uh, first two times through that order, top three hitters, 0 for 6, 6 strikeouts. And, and and Kevin Cash has done this all year, so I guess we should not have been surprised because this is what got them there. But it brings up a point you mentioned in a column back in June. This is why the game is so maddening to people now. It, it, it's just, it's the lack of action and it's the, it's the amount of pitching changes that are just killers. Yeah, you know, it just occurred to me, this is literally as you were talking, Kevin, this is the inverse of Jim Fergosi, Mitch Williams in 1993. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the corollary to this. It was Jim Fergosi was going to pitch Mitch Williams in the ninth inning no matter what, because that's just what Jim Fergosi did. Mitch Williams is the closer. That's the old school baseball thing. Well, now, this is the new school baseball thing. This is the, you know... Well, this is what we do. We we pull our starter with, you know, one out in the sixth inning, no matter how well he's pitching, no matter what the situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both situ- scenarios, it blew up in the manager's face. To me, look, you can you can go back and forth about the strategy of it. You know, if, if Cash picks a different reliever and that reliever retires the next two hitters and the Braves right. get through the inning and they still are winning the game, then we're probably not having this discussion in as heated a fashion, you know, and by we, I mean the entire like sports cognizante right. community. Um, to me, and I think to a lot of people, you know, who are watching the game and who have watched baseball become what it's become in recent years, the the disappointing part and the, the part that kind of makes you angry, as angry as you might get about something like this, is that what's being taken away from the game is one of the very things that we that draws us to sports, which is watching athletes in high pressure situations, push themselves to and beyond their mental and physical limits. Like Baumgartner five years ago. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, again, I pointed this out in my column. The, there's a reason that the Kirk Gibson home run in game one of the 88 series, the last time the Dodgers won the world series is so memorable to everybody. It's not just that he hit a two run homer in the bottom of the ninth inning. It's that he did it off the best closer in baseball at the time, a Hall of Famer in Dennis Eckersley. On one leg. And that he, on one leg, he could barely walk, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and, and that's what makes it dramatic. And that's what we watch for. Like, you know, the best baseball game that the Phillies have played, I would argue, in the last 10 years was game five of the 2011 National League Division Series when Halliday and Chris Carpenter are going pitch for pitch because each guy is pushing himself to his max. And, and, that you take out Blake Snell in that scenario, put the strategy aside. You're eliminating, you're draining drama from that game because some of the drama is, can Blake Snell keep this up? Yeah, he hasn't pitched more than five and two-thirds innings in a game all season. 
that's what makes me want to watch to see if he can do it now in game six. And, and if baseball is going to keep eliminating situations like that, it's going to lose fan interest because the game is just not going to be as exciting. You know what it almost seems like to me, and Kevin, tell me if you agree. The analytics, it makes it safe to make decisions because you can always point to a piece of paper and say, see, you know, in the sixth inning or the third time through the lineup, his ERA is 6.6, whatever. I like it when the manager's got to make it with his gut because sometimes his gut's going to be wrong. And and that's that's why, like Mike says, that's why we watch. You know, I think there's a place for analytics in sports. But, man, it just boggles my mind when it's just like like it was last night. And I think the one thing, too, it, it, the sport – the sport now loves this so much. I mean, the powers that be love it because, let's be honest, it helps save money in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they, 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 you know, how much do they put in the stack cast? How much do they now? You look at what's happening with scouts being laid off. You look at, um, you know, the the human resources in all these teams that are going to go away this year. Well, they're doing this because they can use analytics, use video. And save themselves a lot of money. And I think this is, this trend's not getting any better. And maybe I'm, you know, maybe it's the spitting into the wind thing that people like me freak out about it. Um, but anybody who thinks that this is going to resolve itself anytime soon and, and there's going to be a correction, it's not happening. No. It's not. No. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's almost as if Major League Baseball is following the, trend you see in media companies, which is to cater to more for less audience. Yeah. An audience you already have, you know, it's the idea of like Fox is going to become more Foxian and MSNBC is going to become more MSNBC and baseball is just saying, you know what, we're going to appeal to the numbers crunchers who follow us every day, who play their, their daily fantasy and whatever the case may be and who love the numbers and the people who just like love the history of the game and, you know, if whatever tenuous connection they might feel, you know, that's fine, but we're going to cater to these hardcore group of fans and make sure we have them. Um, and you know, it's driven me away. Like I, I joked last night before the game came on, I said to, uh, my, my nine-year-old son, them, and I said, I'm going to try to watch the entire game tonight. He said, uh, that's impossible, (laughs) you know? And, um, I mean, I was able to do it, but you know, only because of the controversy. Look, I'm from another world. I mean, I, you know, and I understand that the game from 40 or 50 years ago is not the game I, in no in any sport. Okay, but if you had tried to take the ball out of Bob Gibson's hand or or whatever, I mean, he would have chewed your arm off. It, it was like in the '64 World Series. I remember the Cardinal manager John Keane said uh, he had given up two home runs. It was seven five. He bottom of the night, he goes, he I appealed to his heart. And that's missing now. Like you said, Mike, appeal to Snell's heart. Say, here's the ball. Go get me another two innings if you can or whatever. Well, speaking of what Mike and I know back in in the early 90s, and I'll give Patrick Royce of the Star Tribune in Minneapolis credit last night. Patrick literally, like before that inning was over, had quotes from Jack Morris. Yeah. And Jack Morris, he asked Jack Morris how it would have went if Tom Kelly had done the exact same thing to him in Game 7 of 91 against Smoltz and the Braves when he was with the Twins. And the only thing the only thing that Mars said was, it wouldn't have ended well. 
you know, pretty much. I mean, no. it, yeah. but the, yeah, it, it's interesting, guys. It's amazing how this conversation dovetail, dovetails in so many things. I did an interview um, a couple of nights ago. I'm, I'm still working on this book about Kobe Bryant um, that's going to come out next year. And I just did an interview with um, a high school English teacher that he was particularly close to. And we talked for a little while about the fact that she taught Kobe um, sophomore English survey course. And one of the subjects that she focused on uh, and that Kobe really took to were um, hero stories, the Greek myths, the Roman myths, the Iliad, the Odyssey, mm -hmm. um, a hero's journey, um, Joseph Campbell, that kind of stuff. And she said, nobody teaches that stuff anymore. And our society needs it. Our society needs like to, you know, to have people understand what it means to be a hero, not in the fireman saving the kid from the burning building, but, but the journey that a, person takes in terms of challenging him or herself and putting themselves in adverse situations and rising above that. And that's what baseball's taken away. It, it seems to me is that chance for somebody to be a hero in that sense. Well, and that's what baseball, that's what the world series thrived on. That was the, that was the world series every year. There was always a hero in a world series. It could have been somebody, you know, it could have been some somebody, you know, and, and this is October, obviously, but like Francisco Cabrera, um, mm. you know, Morris, you had Puckett, you had, you know, you well, had remember when the, Dod when the Dodgers won in 88, who was the third baseman that had the great World Series? He was like a journeyman. Well, Mickey Hatcher. Mickey Hatcher, yeah. yeah. He was like, yeah, I think he was the MVP. No, Hershiser might have been the MVP, but Hatcher yeah. had... Yeah. Yeah. Like an awesome series. But, I mean, what you're saying is right, Mike. I mean, you can't have a pitcher be a hero anymore because the pitcher's gone in five innings. It's it, it's sad. It really is. And, and you know, I, I feel like it, it, it – you mentioned the Fergosi thing, how there was always controversy around the way that ended, and, and yet where you should have pulled Roger Mason and all that. He was out of bullets anyway, Fergosi, in 93. Yeah. Maybe the Rays were just out of bullets last night. I mean, in a sense, uh, uh, they weren't out of bullets. They had Blake Snell. They didn't have well, to pull Blake Snell. That's the point. But is you know, you know, maybe they would have eventually lost. You know, and by the way, right. going to Nicky Anderson, who got shelled basically the last seven times he pitched in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. You know, th there was no better option there, and, and, and that's it. Let uh, me ask you two guys a question. Yeah, if Snell had had a, let's just say for sake of argument, had not given up a hit at all. At that point, like, like, let's say he was pitching a perfect game or w whatever. Would, would he have still done that? You think? Well, he pulled him right after he gave up a line drive second single hit. to center field. Right. It was the second hit he had given up. Right. But so, the top of the order was coming up, right? And it would have been the third time around. He'd, he'd gone through the lineup, right? But yeah, Kevin it was, bet, it was out, bets coming up. Right. But he had struck those guys out six times. Uh, all those guys. Yes. Right. Go ahead, Mike. No, that's, that's what I was going to say is just, you know, to get, I mean, we're, we're talking about this two days later um, because of what baseball was. It was a collision between what baseball was and what it has become now. Mm -hmm. And the fear, if I were a baseball fan or somebody involved with the sport is that eventually we'll just get away from that concept, you know, that it won't be controversial at all to, to pull a starting pitcher out. I mean, we're kind of already there. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I like I said, I, I sound like an old fogey. But, but, but I, before, I but yeah, before we go into a quick talk about the Eagles Cowboy game, Rob Manfred last night didn't look good. 
You know, as far as like the, the, the when does he ever look good? Well, well, no. I, I saw some things on Twitter that there might have the been echoes, some reverberation, the right. echoes of, in his in the microphone in the ear. And but it, like but that. he looked so, like he looked really. I'll use the word pissed off when he got booed. You know, Gary Bettman almost. Is I, like, I'm not. I'm uh, not into reading facial okay, expressions okay. and things like but, that. But no. if I had you rank the four commissioners right now, where would you go? <sighs> Ranking the four commissioners. That's the um, Oh, let's see. Um, Roger Goodell, Adam Silver, Gary Bettman, Rob Manfred. You'd have Goodell first. Yeah, because I I really hold um, the NBA's ties with China against them. Okay. I really do, um, and that that really colors my ver- my view of Silver. Um, I think you know the, the bubble came off great, but uh, you know that that really bothers. That, that's something that really really bothers me. Yeah, and I I can understand that too. I mean, Goodell, sure. Goodell can be awkward times at other times too. But you're right. Um, yeah. All right. So this has been the calmest Eagle Cowboy week I think ever. Um, you know, short of both teams being out of contention, you know, maybe the last week of a season or something. Um, what are you expecting Sunday night? I expect the Eagles to win by double digits, but not like you know thirty-seven to ten more like 27, 17, you know, 20 to 10, something like that. Is that more of a reflection um, on Dallas or them? A little bit of both. I mean, you know, the Eagles are not a great team. We all know this, um, but they're getting better offensively. It looks like, um, you know, I mean, I think Fulgham is the real deal. I think uh, um, Wentz, as inconsistent as he's been, um, he's like the little girl with the curl. When he's good, he's very good. And when he's bad, he's hard and, you know, he's still pretty good in a lot of situations in these games, especially late. So they have enough to beat the Cowboys, but you know, they're going to end up winning. I think the Eagles are going to end up winning the division at six, nine and one. I really do. I think that's what it's going to, what's going to happen here. And uh, nobody should have you're any wrong. delusions. You're going to finish seven, eight and one. There you go. <laughs> um, you're underestimating them again, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I, I always do. I always do. I'm the one who wrote that when Wentz got hurt in 2017, that they kissed their Super Bowl hopes goodbye. So shows what I know. Uh, well, if the, if the Falcons had known what they were doing, you would have been right. Uh, I mentioned my son, Evan. He's the world. He's the Delaware Valley's biggest Atlanta Falcons fan. And this season has just been absolute torture on that poor kid. Oh my God. I, yeah. It just is. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to do as a father, Mike. I really don't. It's, it's uh, bad. Well, look, he's learning a lesson, you know, early that, you know, it's not all uh, Super Bowls. You know, sometimes there are seasons like this. As, as Allen Iverson famously said, it ain't all peaches and cream. Well, <laughs> Okay, let's say they finish six nine and one. Does the organization really look at the underlying thing, or are they happy that they're raising a banner and saying they made the playoffs and everything will be better anyway? Uh, the no, Maury, Maury's going to become the head of yeah. Uh, yeah. the organization's got to start drafting better. That's just all there is yeah. to it. They, that's just all there is to it. They have to start drafting better. They can't keep doing what they had been doing when Wentz was on his rookie contract. I've been saying this forever. Um, they can't go out and buy veterans anymore. You're not going to have the cap space to do that to the extent that they did, you know, back in 17 and 18. You've got to draft better. Um, and, you know, you, you've, you've got to figure out what Wentz needs. Um, you know, you've got, you've got holes all over the place that you have to fill. And the good part about this season is that hope, you know, the silver lining is that hopefully you have a better sense of some of these 
younger guys. You know, I wouldn't be any rush to in any rush to get Alshon Jeffrey on the field, and I hope they're not. Um, and it doesn't look like they are. So let's see what what Fulgham and Hightower and Rager when he gets back can do. And if and if a team full of rookies and first and second year guys gets you to the playoffs at six nine and one or seven eight and one, cool. Host a playoff game, maybe get your brains beat in. Come back in the off season and be honest and unforgiving about what you are at each of these positions. The Eagles may actually be able to do something that not many teams can do, which is have a bad year and yet still have, I won't say a degree of success, but if you make the playoffs, and I I agree with you 110%, Kevin, they can't look at it as we made the playoffs. Yeah, it's not a but success. Not many teams, but not many teams get to go through a season like this and then host a playoff game, which – you know, it's still a good thing, no matter how you get there. You know, I'm not advocating going six, nine, and one, but you know, it would still be better than not being in the playoffs. Well, the the, the, the only thing is that they're going to end up with the cap hell they're in right now. They're going to end up having the rebuild next year anyway. I mean, they're going to have. But they're going to be. Some. But if they go four. 11 and one, they're still going to be yeah, they're, they're, they're rebuilding now. I mean, what, their yeah. model is the Patriots. And the difference, it, assume for the sake of argument, the Eagles go six, nine, and one this year and make the playoffs, or seven, eight, and one and make the playoffs. That is the equivalent of several Patriots teams that went 10 and six, 11 and five, even 12 and four, that were kind of rebuilding, but had Belichick and Brady. Um, so and you didn't really East, right. Yeah. And so you didn't really know that they were rebuilding. Like I keep using this example, the 06 season when they lost to Indianapolis in the AFC championship game, they had a big lead at halftime and Peyton led the Colts back and Brady threw an interception at the end. The, the Patriots number one wide receiver on that team was Rache Caldwell. Yeah. That was not a good Patriots team, but it had Brady and Belichick and it played in the AFC East, AFC East, so it got to the AFC Championship game. And then the following year, they got Randy Moss and Wes Welker and almost went undefeated um, and were the best offense in the sports history. So the Eagles are trying to do the same thing. They're just not going to do it as well as the Patriots did. No. And so you get a, when they rebuild, they actually rebuild. That's pretty good when you can rebuild. And you're exactly right, but they rebuilt and went 11-5. and five. Yeah. yeah. And, and Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Mike Selsky from the Inquirer and the author of the upcoming book on Kobe Bryant, which will be next summer, correct? Next fall. Next so fall. Talking, well, I got to finish the manuscript by mid-February. Uh, tentative title is The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. So how do you fit writing a book in among three columns a week? The better question is how do I fit writing a book in with two kids and Halloween coming up and that too. holidays and that stuff? Um, you make time. You just, you make time. I wake up in the morning, I get my coffee, I sit down, I start writing. Um, I do my column when I need to do my column and then uh, put the kids to bed and go back and write a little bit. There's got to be, you must have a tremendous amount of discipline, Mike, which I did. I had it in moments, but I didn't always have it. That, it, it, it from what you just explained, it, I know a guy at Sports Illustrated, a friend of mine who wrote a book and said he had to force himself every day to write X amount of words. Whatever it was, he had to because that was the only way he was going to get it done on time. Yeah, I keep a running tally in my head of what I need to average. So however I get to that average a day, um, I'm going to get to it. I'm at 36,000 words right now um, in, a, in, a, in an outline that um, has me writing 50, a preface in 15 chapters. Um, I have to get to 80,000 words. Basically, that's the number I'm shooting for. Um, How many columns is that? 
80,000 words. 80,000 divided by 800. So, you know, a thousand, I guess. What, no, two, uh, what is it? Yeah, a thousand, right? That's why we're we're not accountants. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm no good with numbers. um, So are you, and, and, you know, the, the one I hate saying good thing about this year is the fact that you don't have to travel as much. You don't, you know, I guess that does give you a benefit than you. Would uh, it does. Yeah. Right. I haven't been able to go very many places. Um, you know, for example, you know, one of the big moments of Kobe's senior year at lower Marion was a tournament in Myrtle beach, South Carolina. Right. I would have liked to have gone to Myrtle beach. I wasn't able to make it happen because of the pandemic. Um, but I'll write about it anyway. And, you know, people have been very yeah. kind to speak to me and I've been doing a lot of research and all yeah. that stuff. So it's been a fun process so far. All right. Who's writing? Who's writing your forward, Mike? Uh, I don't know that I'm going to have one. I haven't. I've really okay. thought about that, Mike. Yeah, okay. I, I really haven't. Um, you know, I have jelly a preface. bean. Jelly bean. I'm jelly bean and Pam have not spoken to me. They're not going to speak to me for the book. They have not spoken to anyone uh, in the media since Kobe's death. Um, okay. And okay. I understand and respect that. So sure, sure. Mike Silski from the Inquirer and the upcoming book on Kobe Bryant. Mike, thanks for joining us uh, <clears throat> on late notice. There, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Mike Mike Silski joining us, and we'll be back in a minute. All right, thanks again to Mike Silski for joining us. Mike literally joined us, you know, I called him about 5 o'clock this afternoon, and it's 8.55 now, so Mike joined us. Right in between a Kobe chapter. You got him right. right. in between a Kobe chapter. And You uh, know, the the best thing Mike said, I I really admire him for this, because I know he leans, he's a Republican, right? right. I mean, he, he... that quote he had about, I'm 51.1%, you know, this and 49.9% that. I thought that was great because that's Mike. That's how I think an American should be. Yeah. He, he, he's, he, you can be on one side and still see 49 point yeah. something percent of the other side, you know? And I think that's important that we don't yeah. get to where we only see the 100% of our side. Right. You know, because that, that, that's. That doesn't, in the end, that doesn't accomplish nearly as much. Um, I, you know, we didn't talk about you and I before, but I mean, the Justin Turner thing, I, I was livid last night when I saw it. And I do blame baseball. Like, like physically livid? Like, I mean, you were really like. I, I didn't fall asleep till about 2.30. Yeah. I was that mad. Yeah. Because See, to I me, it ruined, it ruined the moment. It, it ruined the moment. See, it did. But you're right. And you were around many more baseball players than I'm ever going to be around. So I understand what you were saying about the lunkhead. And, kind and, of and, and, I, and I, I love a lot. Of, yeah, I don't love them, but I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I respect they're all of them. They're different. But yeah, they're, they're different. They're, they're they, different. Were, they were groomed different in a sense of, yeah. you know, and, baseball players had their uh, baseball players had their ass kissed more than any other pro athlete. I'm sorry. Yeah, and a lot of them didn't go to college. And I'm, yeah. I don't mean that going to college is the, the, the be all end of you know, if you're a football player and went three years, you know, at TCU or something. But what he did, and, and, and okay, I can understand his mindset. I've worked all my life for this moment. And he's also, we should say, a free agent at the end of the year. We, and we've been in the World Series, you know, a couple times. We lost to two teams that were accused of cheating or at least one. Um, so, so they kind of worked up to this moment. Mm-hmm. I get all that. But – you can't, and, and this is why I hope baseball really comes down hard on him. And, 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 oh, and, and I, I don't think they will. The, I think well, they I will. Do, but I don't think, and I'm not saying that in a vindictive way. I don't mean it that way. But God forbid if his manager tests positive and, and, and God forbid something happens to him 
or like you said, the the one wife was pre the one woman was pregnant. Um, if it, if you're going to do that, at least put the mask on and keep it on. That's all. And, and if that's asking too much, but I still fault Major League Baseball yeah. because there had to be a way without making it into a scene where you got to go up to him and say, "You're dude, you're out of here." Here, and, 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 and I'll give Jess Mendoza a lot of credit today. Jess Mendoza on ESPN this morning said mm-hmm. what has to happen is he's pulled from the game. He comes up the ramp. He's handed his clothes. There's a car go waiting home. outside, and you go back to the hotel. I, Kevin, I, I can't agree with that more because they left themselves open to that. And like I said, if the, if the Rays had won last night, what would Major League Baseball have done? Well, there may have been... That no matter what. I mean, you know, because of the fact that he played in that game and was close right. in that game. But what I'm saying is baseball's over now. Right. You don't have to worry about it. It was a celebration. But if, God forbid, you but had it, to But it play. brings up the process. It brings up the process yeah. that let it escape to a second inning of game yeah. six. Yeah. It's not even like they had a game yesterday uh, on Monday. This, Kevin, they why, didn't they take, why didn't they take him out after the second inning? Because they were trying to run a test to see if it was going to false be... False positive? Yeah, false positive. And I, I get they me, didn't want to punish a team with a potential false positive. Yeah. But that's but why I you had to have you, that... Got, that's why you had to I have think, that in yesterday. Before well, the day yeah, began. I don't... Yeah, I don't understand all the logistics of, you know, why it took so long. I don't... You would think during a World Series they would get these instantaneously almost. But it just it, – it's just it, – it's, it's such a bad look. And it's going to be the look that people really – I mean, and look, let's hope nothing happens out of this. Let's hope nobody oh, yeah. gets sick. Hopefully he's nobody asymptomatic and – yeah. Right. But, I mean, geez, like – and it was just like he was so defiant about it. And if you look at the look on his face – and I understand he just won a World Series. I get it. But you have to be bigger than that. You have to be, and I'm almost like wondering why one of his damn teammates. Well, they were hugging him. They were hugging him. So, so they're just as guilty. I mean, you know, I mean, if Dave, if his manager's sitting next to him, then you know, shame on him too. And and the and the the GM is in on the other side, and you know, look again. I understand he's an LA native. He he he's an LA native. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this season. Well, he is a free agent now. He probably is not going back to the Dodgers at this point. Okay, because of money, mean because, because of money. Like yeah, I mean okay. they're they're you know they they have different priorities now, and, sure. and you know, sure. Uh, but uh, you know, no, that's not a good excuse then to go and danger people. Oh yeah. my god! And it's but not again, just it's not just like the Dodger people. You're endangering photographers who are there. You're endangering TV people. But but again, Kevin, and this is where our country's at. This is where, because it's just that sometimes some people can't see what you just tried to explain. It is. And I understand the heat of the moment. You lose your mind. Right. I get that. You do. And we've seen all through sports that we've seen coaches without masks on. We've seen, you know, what was the story the other day that the giants uh, had two players or something? Well, look at Brown and something were at a party or whatever. So people all the time, and these are only things we hear about. There's probably tons of stuff that happens that we don't hear about. Mike, look at Lynn Kiffin's mask. 
It's basically a thong. Yeah. I mean, it's a joke. I mean, some of these people are just. When I'm watching NFL games, Kevin, and I don't know who they are, like, but I'll be, you know, they show you the picture on the sidelines, and a lot of the coach, not the head coaches so much, the assistant coaches have their mask down at their chin. Yeah. Well, why do you even have the mask on? You're not serving any purpose. Yeah. And I just don't understand why it's so hard when your league is telling you this is what you have to do. I I I I just I I don't I don't know. And then you see, you know, the Texans had to close their facility today because mm-hmm. they think somebody might have tested positive. Um, you know, and it's just it's it's, and I'm not saying that they wouldn't have tested positive if you know. I just don't see where it's so hard. And if I was a teammate of somebody, and I had children, let's say, or, or whatever I had. I wouldn't want to be taking a chance on getting it and taking it home or what I mean. I don't know. Maybe I'm the one that's losing my mind. You know what? Maybe this whole pandemic thing's just starting to to get to me. I don't know. Um, Um, Today is the first day, basically, where players can file for free agency. JT Real Muto will be one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly doesn't feel like he's coming back. Nope. And... You know, I'll cheap plug it. I, I did a column for Philly Voice, and I, I kind of went the bargain basement route, thinking that the Phillies have to cut some of their payroll and everything. But sounds like one of the things they're going to do, Ned Rice and Andy McPhail, sounds like they're going to be the ones in charge, at least through this year. And if you're cutting payroll, boy, you better you better thread the needle correctly if you're both those guys, if you're going to think I have about a bad feel. I have a bad feeling about this, Kevin, and other teams may be in the same boat. You would know better than I would. It's an industry issue. Yes, but we don't care about the industry. We care about the Phillies. Um, I don't see this having a good, at least as next year goes. Oh, yeah. Um, Because of where they're at, because of what they're going to have to lop off, I don't see the shortstop being here. I don't see the catcher being here. Nope. And I don't see them being able to fill – the holes that they need to fill as well as you would like them, like the bullpen, uh, the third or fourth starting pitcher. There's a couple guys in the bullpen they can go after. There's actually one local guy, Sean Doolittle, who I, is going to be available, and I think that the yeah. Phillies would be wise to, the, to kick the tires on that. Yeah, I. but it, it's just hard to see them fixing. If you lose oh, you the can't catcher, fix all of them. Short, yeah, if you lose the catcher and lose the shortstop. You're going to have to go bar, um, bargain basement. Well, Segura can play short. Yeah, but you lose you lose leadership. Yeah, I mean, I think you lose two guys who were, were offensive big production, in the clubhouse, offensive production, right? And you just don't give up the best catcher in baseball and not feel it. And as you've said many times, the right fielder might feel it because the right fielder might sit there and go, you know what? And the manager might feel it. Yeah, you know, the manager might sit there and go, geez, you know, um, now. Things happen, you know, uh, you know, maybe they go out with the money they don't spend to get three or four other guys that turn out to be decent players and they help them. But man, I, it just seems like for all the enthusiasm we had. Oh, it's, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not close to the same. Now, a lot of things can change between now and, and April if they start in April. I mean, you know, whenever they're going to start. Mm-hmm. So I'm not about to sit here. 
I, I think one of the most disappointing things to me is that they don't have a different voice leading the organization. You know, they, they get rid of Clentac, but they don't get rid of him. No. And they, McPhail's they still there. Assistant, and basically they bump yeah. up his assistant right now. That to me is that's and if the reason they're doing it is because of the financial ramifications, is that to me is bad. Like you gotta do what the Sixers did. Yeah, the Sixers went out and said, you know what? They, I mean, they weren't even thinking of Doc Rivers, I'm sure, right? No. Then Doc Rivers gets fired, and a day later, he's the Sixers coach. Mm-hmm. Okay? Then Maury leaves Houston, and a day later, he's the president of the Sixers. That, to me, at least shows me that the ownership, which we've criticized, you you know, you've certainly been on their case a lot. Yeah, Maybe I, I, think said, been, you know I think I understand, obviously, the financial aspect of what's going on right. this year. I'm not discounting that, but right. you, you, you can't expect... You can't expect just the move of Clintac to another position. You could have went out and got a general manager. You could have went out. You you could have went now. Maybe they couldn't with McPhail being there. I I don't know. Well, that. and that and, and that's, apparently and that's a problem. Well, Middleton that, loves Middleton loves McPhail. You know. Yeah, I but mean, apparently he's, he's, he's talked about McPhail leave and making sure McPhail leaves at the end of the year. It's very weird. At the end of the year, but well, at the end of his contract, but, yeah. Right. Uh. But but. He, he just seems like, you know, he, he went after that reporter, you know, the, the, yeah, the went woman after that asked the question. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just think the Phillies had expectations. And let's face it, they didn't reach them this year. No. In, in a shortened season, so we don't know, you know, if they would have played 160, what would have happened. But then their bullpen would have had been out there for another 100 games. Um, and you thought with an expanded playoffs and everything, you know, okay, we could be the AC. You know, we'll, we'll – we'll, whatever – so, I don't know what you go in the next season thing. The Braves ain't getting any worse. No. I, I don't think. No, you um, got a Marlins team improving. You got a Mets team that'll have new ownership. And you have the yeah. Nationals, presumably, with their three top starters back. Yeah, although they're getting older. They're I getting mean, older, but they may have won one last team. but they may have one last run in them to at least get to a playoff. The worst, the worst scenario to me. Is Riamolto is the starting catcher for the Mets? I, yeah, I just agree. that can't play. It it can't play, and you know that the Mets would love nothing better than to have because that even if the Yankees get Real Muto, you they, can live with that. You can live with that, and you also may have an opportunity. Then, and I know Gary Sanchez is not a great get right, right. now, right? But it's it's a stopgap. It's a guy you try right. and see if it works, right. and it's probably not going to cost you a ton. Well, the other thing is you, you really want to hope that Alfaro doesn't become like an all-star. Oh <laughs> I mean, you know, cause, well, cause, Sanchez <laughs> already is uh, on his way, so. Well, yeah, but that that we kind of knew was going to happen. Right. If you Alfaro know, becomes but, something, then you got a problem. Yeah, because then you say, why, why did we trade We traded two of them, yeah. Yeah, and, and didn't make the playoffs in the two years that we had them. You, you know, which is just, it's just not, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm just it, it, baseball is so far out of my mind right now because you know we're gonna have Sixers and Flyers and Eagles before then. Well, and, and let's also point out with the end of the World Series last night, this grand stretch that really began at the end of July of the NHL and the NBA and baseball all going at the same time, and then going in the mm-hmm. football and college football. That's all over, and there's no guaranteed date on when the NHL or the NBA come back. It looks like the NBA is coming back at Christmas, but that's not locked in. Without um, LeBron. Without LeBron, possibly. Early. No, he'll come back the first game to get his ring, and then and, and, and then he'll take some time off. Um, 
So the Which football- I don't blame them, by the way. I mean, no. You know. So the football team better carry us for about another six well, weeks. Just, you think about how much the sports world, Kevin, is screwed up right now, even oh. though it appears to be. I mean, the Boston Marathon's already been pushed back to at least the fall. We don't know what the Olympics are going to be. I mean, we think we do, but we, you know, we don't know. Um, anything that's going to happen in the sp- or after New Year's, let's say, we don't know where we're going to be. I, I mean, think, I think just the o- I think the only thing you can say is that the golf schedule probably resumes closer to normal than it was this year. But, but what I'm saying, Kevin, think about this. Like Europe now is is closing down, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Europe's going through whatever the hell Europe's going through. Yep. Okay, so the golf season starts in Hawaii. Well, Hawaii has basically been closed down. Yeah. They're just starting to open. So if we have an outbreak, you know, if, if this thing gets bad again, well, you know, Hawaii doesn't want people coming in. Well, Mike, from- uh, you know, there was a story actually on the athletic the other day that um, looking at options for the Toronto Raptors. So oh, yeah, because, because right, yeah, sure. you can't go into Canada. And that would be the, the hockey teams, too, right? The hockey teams, at least there's seven of them. They could go play against each other for, you know, however long until it got There's set. actually seven Canadian teams now? Yeah, Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. Well, I I, I didn't think there were seven. I thought, right. okay, yeah, you're, you know, you're right. Um, But it just, like, when people try to say... And I know they're only trying. I, I get it. You're, you're trying to have some clarity. But there is no clarity. Everything is up in the air because... Well, and what we talked about with Dave on the first show, you don't, you don't know there's going to be an NCAA tournament in March. We don't We don't know. Right. We, we don't know. There might not be... I mean, you know, we're assuming that there's going to be a vaccine at some point, which hopefully there is. Um, we're assuming... I'm still convinced that... 2021, at least the first half of 2021, is not going to be a whole lot different than what we're going through now. Right. I, I think people kind of think that it, there's going to be like a wand, and I, I don't mean this. This is not a knock at Trump. This is just people in general right. just kind of thinking that, yeah, it's going to kind of and, – and I understand why they think that way, but we could be sitting here next summer or next fall maybe only getting back at that point to something – that resembles normal to us. Um, and that's why I think like even baseball season next year, um, you, you know, we could see NBA or NHL maybe having 50 or 60 game seasons. Well, ba- ba- um, the NBA will play 72 because they'll get their comp, their uh, TV regional okay. TV money. Okay. Um, you know, Davey's talking about the big 10 season because they don't have any built in off days. Yeah. Um, that could turn into whatever that turns into. Um, this is you know, al- the- this is almost going to be the version, and you know this because you've looked up enough media guides in your life. You go back to like the nineteen tens, and it's like you know a four team or, f- or a five game season that somebody like Penn played or whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're going to live that. And well, I mean, look at what Wisconsin's going through right now. Look at yeah. what Florida just went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're assuming that that they won't go through it again. But like Dave said, once it hits one Big Ten team, it's going to hit others. You know, the chances, well, the chances are it might or, you know, or could. Um, and there are no answers. There, no. There's no right or wrong answers. You try to do the best you can, which I assume most of these schools are trying to do the best they can mm-hmm. to mitigate this thing and, and, and deal with this thing. Um, but it's hard because it's so contagious and we don't know 
everything about it. So, um, and when it impacts sports, I mean, like I said, the Texans just closed. Yeah, how many NFL games have we already seen? Like, well, you know, yeah, there's there was eight games reshuffled and everything, and, and well, that's a lot of games because we're only halfway through the season. Yeah, and um, they, and they've talked about like if they have to add a week eighteen, then they would eliminate the bye week in between the Super Bowl. They're still yeah. planning on playing the Super Bowl. That first yeah. weekend in the in February, but they do have some. Do you think room. they're going to go to a bubble for the playoffs? I don't know at this point. I think it will depend on how the national atmosphere is at that point too. I mean, where do you put them? You know, where can I, I where well, can you play five games or you know? Well, you either have to go to a dome or you have to go warm. I mean, that's your that's your two choices. You pl- you're going to play six games on Wild Card Weekend, right? 14 teams. So what what, what if you pick two different sites? If you pick like um Arizona just, and a dome. Like who's got a dome somewhere? I I don't Well, I mean, look at it, maybe Arizona and LA? LA um because you could play also in in theory at like the Rose Bowl or right the Coliseum if you wanted to uh mm-hmm. and keep a, a cluster there. I mean it, it, it look, it's complicated. I don't know where it's going. Um so. What I, I got to ask you this because what grade would you give Rob Manford this year? C minus. You may be being kind. He got I through mean, it. I mean, he, they did get it through. So I, you got to yes, give him some did. credit. And okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. The, the rule, the rule changes didn't repulse everybody. So you give him a little no. star with that, but. The contract situation, the way he handled the Astros, the way he handled the end of the series here, he's just a bad guy to have out there right now. He's really just, he's a bad face for the sport. Yeah, they had a bad face for a a lot of years with Bud, but he's worse than Bud. You know the problem with baseball, Kevin? There is no face to baseball. Mike Trout is not, like, you know when you look at the NBA, there's LeBron. Well, Mookie should um, be the Mookie. Name right me now, five other guys. I mean, you you could name them. You know, Giannis. Um, oh, you know, yeah. here's the guys. You know who they are. Harden. Ba- ba- um, baseball. It's Trout who plays in a market nobody ever watches. The, uh, the guys with, like these young guys on the Braves. They should be trying to market these guys. They're exciting players. The guy on the they Rays. Be, they should be. They should be marketing Mookie. Mookie, but the, how about the guy on the Rays that had the great postseason? Um, Arizona. And I think one of the problems, and I could be wrong about this, one of the problems is when these guys are Latin, I don't wow. think they think they're marketable. I, I think it's I, like I think there is a language barrier problem, but sure. They don't market they don't market the Mr. White Bread America and Mike Trout. I I, yeah, but don't they always try to blame Trout for that? Don't well, they always they do? Say but guess what? You could still market him better, even if but he doesn't go along with it. You can market him better. Think about this: for the last eight years or so, the I mean, best Mike, pitcher in baseball, for the most part, has been Clayton Kershaw. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Have you ever seen one thing with Clayton Kershaw? Have you seen a commercial? Just a Gatorade with, commercial. That's about it. Okay, but I'm just saying. I mean, there's a guy to me. You know, I, I recognize him. But in but it's also it's also Mike that. Baseball is behind two other major sports, and if you're an advertiser, you're lining up with the NFL and the NBA. You're right. No, you're I mean, right. Kevin. I mean, God, Mike Trout is a Rockwell painting come to life, and and they go oh, look at look at the commercials right now that are running, uh, the insurance commercials. You have um, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. Mahomes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and as soon as you see that, you're like, "There's Patrick Mahomes." 
and you're thinking NFL, you know, yeah. or, or Saquon Barkley eating soup, um, or or you have, you have whatever. Like, you have Baker Mayfield making commercials. Yeah, oh, and they're good commercials. They're good. How I mean, do you have Peyton Manning making commercials and he hasn't played in yeah. in three or four years? Uh, um, I don't know. It's just it it frustrates me because when I was growing up, baseball was the biggest sport. Yeah. Um, and now it just seems like. I mean, it's still ahead of the NHL because it's the NHL. But it's closer to the NHL than the others. Well, it ain't basketball and it ain't football, and it's never going to be again. Nope. Uh, and that's just the way it is, and, you know. Um. All right, since this is our last time talking, presumably before next Tuesday, when we get together next Wednesday, do we know what the election result is? Uh, it all depends if if Trump wins, it's going to be close. Yep, we I know agree. that. Mm-hmm. So, from that perspective, you may not know for a, a while. I mean, they're already predicting it could take. Now, I think people will make you know the CNNs of the world and the MA, all this the news stations. They're going to make their projections. I think if Joe Biden wins big, to somewhere where. The other side can't point to two states or three states and say, yeah. look at this. Over th- over 320 electoral votes is probably the, right. the measure. And I think that for the country, just for the country, is the best scenario. Now, of course, if you're a Republican, you wouldn't say that because right. you think that's the worst thing for the country, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be, I mean, I think these next two months could be two of the goofiest months. Yeah. We've ever seen, and I hope it's not. Like, I hope that cooler heads kind of prevail, sort of. And if and if if Donald doesn't win, for the sake of argument, somebody like McConnell or whatever goes to him and says, Donald, so, you lost. Right. It's over. We, we, you know, we gave it the good fight. We're still going to fight. We're going, you know, you can start Donald Trump TV or something. You can do, you know, whatever it is. That you that you're going to do, but but I I just don't want to, see, and I'm I'm just afraid. I'm so afraid of next Tuesday, not because that Joe could lose. If he loses, he loses. I, you know that's the world. Mm-hmm. I'm just scared because of well, what. It, it almost reminds me, like the OJ trial, where you had half the, one side was going to cheer one way, mm-hmm. you know, one side was going to cheer the other, and you're just looking at the people saying. Yeah, you know, I get it. You're invested in this, but you know, there's going to be a result, and then we have to live with the result, whatever the result is. Yeah, just like we had to live in 2016. You had to live with the result. You had to live with the result in 2000. You know, every time there's an election, one side's not going to be happy, and one side is, and and um, I just hope it doesn't turn into a circus where we just look like. Idiots to the rest of the world. Not that I really care what the rest of the world thinks of us, but we got to be better than that. Well, you know, we, we and be and and, that. and that's ultimately my goal. And, and as we say goodbye on this episode, ultimately your goal what? My my goal is that I hope we, when this is all done, either way, right. And, and it's naive to think it's going to happen. I'm not denying that, right. But I hope that at some point there's a point of reflection, especially as we enter the final two months of this godforsaken year. Um. That what what has separated us? I mean, the world's a goofy enough. The world can't. Oh, go ahead. No, no. What has separates us isn't as large as we all think. 
I think we all care about our families. No. I think we all care about um, our loved ones. We, lo- we, you know, t- you may have a different way of saying it, but you love the country. Uh, you know, you may be disappointed in. Some do we way. care about the person? Do we care about the person next to us? And that's where we have to work on. Okay. Win, okay. lose, whatever. We have to work on realizing that other people may have differences of opinion, but their intentions are pure sometimes. And, and there's still, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, you know, uh, the, uh, that's my wish after what happens next week. It's not, I, I, it's, it's Hallmark well, stuff. I get it, but yeah, I know I hear what you're saying, but the world is goofy enough mm-hmm. without extra goofiness, but we almost seem like we're gravitating towards extra goofiness. Yeah, we are. And this COVID thing is like nothing we've ever had to live through before. And we're going to come out on the other side. We are. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know what the casualties are going to be when the final tallies go up. But we will. Um, And, you know, uh, we live in the best country in the world, even when sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Yep. And I'm not even sure there's a close second. No. Uh, you know, I, I can't speak for every damn place on the face of the earth. But, um, and we have our problems. We have our problems in Philly right now. We, yep. we, we can see the problems. But, man, it's it, you got to think that at some point it's got to be better. Yep. It, you, you just got to. Because if, if you don't cling to that, then why get up in the morning? Yeah, exactly. All right, Michael. Enjoy the hey, weekend. Good luck with um, – your tests. Thank you. And uh, everybody be safe. Everybody, please vote. Everybody just, you know, we'll get through all this in the next couple of weeks. So for Mike Kern, yeah, from- you might not, you might not survive Bloomsburg, but we're going to survive this. <laughs> our thanks to Mike Silski and our, our thanks to you for joining us uh, on this double edition. Our thanks to Dave Jones for joining us as well on this double edition of working to be. Have a good night. Good night.